It was a heart Oof. sinker. Yeah. It was just like when the last few mandates came out for Washington state, it was just like, <sighs> okay. And, but you feel so helpless too, because there is really nothing you can do. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. You know, a lot of people talk about how farmers are getting older and older and people are aging out of growing food. It's true, but at the same time, I've been really encouraged as I've continued on these journeys all over the state with this podcast to get to know young people people, young men and women who are super passionate about growing food and advocating for other people growing food. That's the story this week of our guest, Katie Porterfield, who's actually originally from California. We'll hear about her story, how she ended up in Washington, how passionate she is. How, and she's a pro. She's super professional, involved in a lot of stuff, very smart and successful person. And she has a dream um, for what she wants. Because she's not actually growing food right now herself, but she has a dream and a vision and a plan um, to eventually be there. And at the same time, we talk about some of the stuff that's going on with COVID right now, too, and what that's meant for fairs. Country fairs are totally about food. And no, I'm not talking about the corn dogs and the snow cones and the cotton candy. I'm talking about the people who raise food and animals and crops. And that's the foundation of it all. So we talk about that too, um, because she's very plugged in with that world professionally. Katie Porterfield is our guest this week. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Again, documenting my journeys to get to know the real people behind our food and our food system all over Washington State. Of all the things that you could do with your background and your education, you're still plugged into farming. Why is that? What draws you to farming and ranching in this world? It's my roots and it's my passion. It's going to be my forever. Um, I can't imagine any other life that's not focused on agriculture and how it's moving forward into the future and what it does for the world and how it impacts the people who um, benefit from it, but also the people who are in it every day. It's, it's my way of life. It's, you know, and... I'm really proud of it, and it's and it's ingrained into me. It's in my blood. <laughs> so what it does for the world, what do you mean by that? Feeding the people, and we still have a lot of work to do with, you know, an ever-growing population is just going to keep going and going, and people are working so hard to find ways that we can make food better and more efficient to get more food out there for the for the world. So, like, what kind of stuff? What, what are you seeing in the farming community? Well, you know, there's a lot of... Um, from what I see, there's loss of smaller farms, which which um, is sad, but there's also a need always to be growing and moving forward and having to keep up with the times. And the whole business climate really plays into farming and ranching. And that needs to be a huge focus that some people some people don't see. It's sometimes it's just looked at as farming or ranching and not looked like as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, there's ups and downs, but, you know, my belief is there's a place for everything in the world because they support all different um, avenues of consumers. There's a place for big, a place for small, place for for conventional, place for organic, and so on. I think everyone just works well together and, and all of them are solutions. And it's great that some people can have choices and it's great that we can do it in other ways that are cheaper for those who might not have any choices. So from what I understand about what you do right now, you're just... You're like an advocate in, in a lot of different senses, right? Talk about, you have multiple roles around the farming community. Yeah. And um, so my when I got out of college, I knew um, before I go back to the family ranch someday, I really just wanted to focus on advocacy. And I found the fair industry um, was a great way to do that because you're not only educating the next young agriculturalists of tomorrow, but you're getting to connect with consumers that come to your fair that are of you know an urban or suburban um, population or just maybe not on a farm or ranch. Mm-hmm. And so their only interaction they get with agriculture or like livestock is at a fair. That could be the only place all year round that they get that. And so I've 
created my six years in this profession, um, just created an even bigger passion for, for looking at those two avenues of education and working towards that. But in a broader reach, um, like I, I help out and still have hands-on stuff um, for other people's um, operations right now and just as a hobby for me. But obviously I'm not um, at my family's ranch and so that fills my time. And so in the meantime, I'm working in industry associations so that I can help protect that way of life so that when I'm ready to take that over or the next generation um, ready to pass that down to, I want it to still be there. So I've involved myself in in different ag associations across the state and still back home in the state of California as well. Mm. I try to keep tied in there too. That's (laughs) a really like forward view. Like you're thinking about long-term. Right, exactly. It is. And that's, that's how a lot of actually farmers and ranchers think I feel to them. They, they're so proud and have so much attachment to their operation because it's not only their lifestyle, but they do want to leave behind a legacy and they do want the next generation. They want to see it continue. And that's a big thing, you know, and sometimes that also this industry is failing at is doing proper um, planning to make sure that those steps can take place, but they still care about it. And, you know, yeah, that's no different for me. And so my involvement in industry associations to be a voice and work um, alongside people that want to protect this way of life and how we operate so that we can feed the growing population and continue to do so in the best way possible. Um, that it means a lot right now during my during my time not in production agriculture. So your main job is working with the fair. What, what What's the... What's the name of your, like, what's your job title? And yeah. it's the, the Kittitas Valley, yes. what, Fair and Events Center? Like, what, what's the? Yeah, so the, the grounds is, is now called the Kittitas Valley Event Center. Went through a rebrand a few years ago because we host events all year round, um, ag-based um, and, and not, and just community-based. So this fairgrounds is, is widely used, and so it keeps us very busy. But our main love and biggest event of the year, of course, is the Kittitas County Fair and Ellensburg Rodeo. So I have a really fun time working with both the fair board and the rodeo board to put on those events because the rodeo, just like the fair, is also an agricultural education type based event in my mind. And so, um, you know, it's not just entertainment. People learn about livestock going and watching the rodeo and they get that interaction and understand that lifestyle. So um, it's fun to be working with those events simultaneously as they're going on every Labor Day weekend. Um, but yeah, we I keep busy. My title is the event center director, but yes, that falls under um, facility management and the event side of things, the interim and um, fair manager. So does it feel like farming sometimes or does it just feel like an office job sometimes? I guess <laughs> probably both, right? Probably both. A lot more office than I'd like sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, in previous jobs before I got this position a year and a half ago, um, I was the agriculture department manager for the Central Washington State Fair. And even though I was still doing a lot of office work, I was just submerged in the ag sector only, which was a ton of fun. And for my first career job, that was right where I wanted to be, right in my passion. And of course, now being at a little higher level of position, I have to encompass everything of the day-to-day business. But, you know, I think it could be transferred over to farming and ranching still because a lot of farmers and ranchers, you know, they love working in the business and doing the farm and ranch work. But sometimes the paperwork isn't as much desired, <laughs> but it's still very necessary yeah. to be able to be successful. And so, you know, it's probably prepping me to make sure that I can can keep the office sta- <laughs> um, office work going and not slack off on it. So what does it take to make the... The the Kittitas Valley. I'm making sure I'm getting this name right. Kittitas Valley event Fair. Center. Well, but yeah. but the actual big event, Labor Day, and which is like the biggest event annual event in this whole area. Yes, right? Kittitas County Fair. Fair and rodeo. Mm-hmm. What all goes into that? I mean, you're working on that all year to make that happen on Labor Day. All year round, both boards meet, and I meet with both of them um, 
and you know the planning, the capital, what we're what projects we're going to do to better the fairgrounds in preparation, what changes we want to see. Getting all of you know winter and spring is getting all of the papers renewed for the next year, and all of the new information and planning goes into place. And then late spring summer, we're working on getting those things ready around all of the events that we're trying to host and manage at the same time. But, um, you know, it's, it does, you just got to pace yourself throughout the year and, and make the juggle to make this place profitable and, and keep it rolling, make it valuable year round. What's the event like? When it actually happens. Awesome. Like what, 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 what all, there's rodeo stuff happening. There's animal exhibits. I would imagine there's the classic like carnival stuff going on. Oh, like, yeah. Describe what. Vendor row. Yeah. Like. Um, it's just, it's this fairgrounds for one is, is beautiful and we're in a great spot in Ellensburg. And so how the layout is um, just really fits. And you can like, when you're walking through the fair side, you can just hear everything going on in the big rodeo arena. And you're almost just itching to get in there and get a ticket to go watch um, because it's it's such a good production that the Ellensburg Rodeo puts on. And then on the fair side, you just feel so comfortable and there's so, because there's so much community and um, you know, between walking from Vendor Row and through the carnival and then down to the fair food, um, the booths are just lined up, easy access. And um, the animal barns, they're historic. And so it, they have a good feel going around them. But then getting to go into the big pavilion and see all the kids show every year. And we have several show rings going at once um, all around. And so it's, it's you can feel the competition going like the kid, it's on their face and you walk in you're like whoa okay you can feel it in the air That's it's awesome. pretty awesome yeah i think in this bizarre year of covid that's one of those things I'm going to miss the most. I'm such a junkie for fair food. Now yeah. that you mentioned that, I'm thinking about it, just thinking about deep fried anything, anything. and how <laughs> yes. wonderful it is. But I, I, you know, fair food and fair, you know, how fairs are connected to the production of food, two totally different things. And I think people don't think about that part of it, about yeah. how producing food farming, mm -hmm. you know, stewarding the land, how that's all connected to fairs that happen every year. I think, again, people think of, yeah, deep fried stuff and rodeos and carnivals. Right. But I think a lot of people forget kind of the roots exactly. of the whole fair scene. And I think this year with COVID has made people realize what the roots of all fairs are truly. And that's the agricultural exhibits and the livestock this has definitely been a year, while it's very challenging for our youth in 4-H and FFA and other livestock exhibitors, it's also a huge learning year because it's so practical to the to the daily that other farmers and ranchers and production ag agriculture have to go through, you know, market ups and downs and not being able to sell an animal maybe. And, you know, luckily a lot of people are working on the virtual options so that the kids can still sell their animals and as a product and the communities are being super supportive all across the nation, which is amazing to see, yeah. especially because so many of those are small businesses that have also been so hurt from COVID. People are just amazing. But, um, you know, this is, this is definitely a learning opportunity for those young kids. And that's what the experience is all about. It's, it's learning how to be in production agriculture, and that's mm. what you have to take sometimes. And being proud of what you do too. Yeah. Not just farming because, well, it makes you money, or even just because it produces food one way or the other, but trying to do a great job of it. Right. right? Yes. And that's what I see. When Putting I, a good quality part product out yeah. there on the market. I mean, that's that's what I've always um, preached is that kids need to realize that and it needs to be ingrained in their programs that, you know, you're not trying to sh show an animal with the longest hair. You're trying to show something that somebody can eat and enjoy and it needs to have all the qualities all around. It's really important. There's so much history to that too. And yeah. it's such a brutal year this year because again, we most of us are going to think about all the entertainment opportunities that are missed. And I love the entertainment value value of a fair, but what you're talking about here is the educational value mm -hmm. and has been such a tough year for education with schools and, you know, how to keep kids occupied and plugged right. into stuff. And this is another one of those things mm -hmm. that has gone away 
this year. What, what, what are, what are you hearing from some of those kids, those families, the farm families that normally show that kind of stuff? Are they pretty heartbroken? Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that the whole community looks forward to every year. We all, it's the t fair in any community is when the whole community gets to come together and celebrate, not just agriculture, but being a community and showing, showcasing even through local entertainment and stuff, what the kids are doing in school, you know, special um, dance groups, like all those things, like everyone gets to showcase their stuff at the annual fair. And so, you know, uh, people are losing all over in different ways. And I think people are just sad that we can't come together and, and be together during that time. It's such a tradition and it's, it's, it used to always be the thing that, it was the fun thing to get off the farm and ranch yeah. and do. And, you know, that was what traditionally it was all about too. And so yeah. it's definitely been sad for everyone <laughs> and our hearts are right there with them. How hard was it to make that call? Cause I know well, when a lot of these things were canceled and it's been some time ago now, a lot of stuff was even more up in the air than it is now. Right. And I know and there was politics involved and all kinds of crazy stuff from all of the people I've talked to on all these events and fairs and rodeos across the country. It's just they have exhausted all options and tried almost everything they can to try to figure out how to put it on. And it just comes down to there's no safe way to do it or the authority isn't there. And it adds absolutely one of the hardest decisions to make. And um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see a few fairs have been lucky to been able to put on an event and everything they had to go through in their region to be able to put a safe event on. Um, that's great that they got to do that. But I know in some areas it's just not possible. What was that like when the announcement was made? What did that feel like to, you know, this is your year. Yeah. You do events year round, but this is the, the big showcase Yeah, to have that canceled. It was a heart oof. sinker. Yeah. It was just like. You know, you just kind of, and I guess our decision here was postponed long enough where we thought we would still have a chance. And so our hopes were up for a long time. And so it, it made us sink back even a little bit further when it finally came to the point um, when the last few mandates came out for Washington State. It was just like, <sighs> okay. And, but you feel so helpless too, because there is really nothing you can do. It's just all right, now we got to change our mindset. What's the best thing we can do to move forward? And how do we get these kids to still be able to sell their animal and and showcase what they've been raising all year long? And so even though, you know, you, we took a minute to be sad, but then MindShift focused and we're focused on planning this virtual fair that we're hosting mm. here in a couple, a few weeks. And uh, so it just has to be quick. You got to be ready for change and and make it happen. So... Yeah, it seems like everything else in life is happening on Zoom now. So I guess you have to figure out how to do a fair on Zoom, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom fair. Well, obviously, it's going to be more than that, I know. But yeah, yeah. Crazy. We'll see how it all turns out. What about the other organizations that you're involved with? I know you're you're involved with the Washington Cattle Women, right? Correct. I am. I'm currently the president. I've been president since 2017. And um, I'm in my second term now. That'll end in 2021. Um, I joined the Cattle Women in 2015 um, up here for Washington. Um, I've had absolute blast. The ladies up here that are um, members are fantastic. And um, we have so much fun going around doing beef promotion events and working with um, our state beef commission and the Washington Cattlemen's. There's so many great things we get to do um, and always looking for new ways we can connect with consumers and meet them and show them our face and say, hey, yeah, we're raising the beef you want to put on your plate, or maybe you don't want to put on your plate, but we'll let you know this is who we are anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of that. And we, you know, we try to immerse ourselves in all kinds of communities and do different things just to, just to get the word out there about beef and that women are highly involved just as much as the men. Yeah, I think that's a stereotype yeah. that a lot of people, it's interesting, people might criticize that. But it, if they do, it's probably coming from a place of not being aware that it's those, you know, beef operations are family operations. That's right. Like, is there any in the, I'm trying to think any in this state that's not a family operation one way or the other. Yeah. And it's, you know, man, woman and child, everybody in the family who's available and, you know. It's everybody. And yeah, yeah. the 
the women aren't just cooking the food for the brandings anymore. I mean, they are they are in it or running the show now. And so there is a good mix. And, yeah, the stereotypes are being broken. Um, but, you know, it's all about all of everyone working together. So that's been fun. And then I've also um, been a part of the Washington Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee through the State Farm Bureau. Um, I've been um, county representatives for um, quite a few years, um, first in Yakima, now for Kittitas. And I've been the vice chair of the Young Farmers and Ranchers um, State Committee for two years now. So that's been a really fun group. Um, I get to I get to work with and dabble in all kinds of industries, working in, and with people my age. And it's just so great to connect and talk about issues that, yeah, us as young people want to work on so that to make sure our operations or future operations are going to be there for us. And so that's where Farm Bureau plays a really important role, I feel like. Yeah. And I see a lot of value there. And um, But just being involved overall in Farm Bureau, the um, I've been learning a lot and there's so much more to learn as far as like the policy side and different things like that. For um, Kittitas County, I just recently was appointed to their county Farm Bureau board and um, they graciously made me policy chair. So now I'm I'm really starting. I'm going to get to learn because I'm going to be the one um, representing us for that in our county for so that. Ex- explain so. policy. Like what kind of policies? What are we talking about? So the Farm Bureau, we um, as a state, every year we come together and review. We have a policy book. And that's where we stand on all agricultural policies that when we go um, to Olympia or asking legislators um, for things or trying to persuade them on bills that are coming up, that's our policy book we follow, that that's where we stand. And that guides the State Farm Bureau staff and um, all of the counties on how we are doing that. But every year we get the chance to amend and revise and add. And so it's, it's a huge process, but it keeps the communication going and helps us adapt as things change and how we see the industry moving. And so I've, I've only been involved in it recently, but it's so far it's a fun process and I'm learning a lot from it. Back to stereotypes, just thinking about this, like, again, the stereotype is the farmer or the rancher is usually an older man. You're a younger woman. Mm -hmm. What's that like being in that world? Do you come up against that sometimes? Sometimes. Yeah. Even, you know, even in, this industry, I think that, you know, it's, it's, there's a little bit um, on both sides that I can see that I'm kind of involved in. But um, overall, I also see a lot of support, at least, you know, most of most of the um, older generation are starting to understand. And most of them actually get it. There's only, there's only a few that maybe (laughs) aren't quite with the times, or don't see all of the positives that can come out of the newer generations maybe. Um, But it's actually really encouraging to see. Um, I mean, for an example, you know, just working with not necessarily older men, but, you know, some older women, cattle women tend, the groups tend to be mostly older women because a lot of the younger women are too busy and raising families and they're not really immersing themselves in volunteer activities. But, you know, these women um, in the cattle women are just outstanding and right away they accepted me and there was like no stereotypes about age or anything i mean it was just awesome and then they then they put me as their president after only being there two years and i'm like are you sure (laughs) (laughs) but they're so sweet and so i know that 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 stereotype overall and getting to work with like the cattlemen's association you know it's there it's people realize the stereotype isn't valid anymore i guess so it's good. It's good to see. So where do you come from? You mentioned back home in California. What was that? What, what you grew up in the farming ranching world? Yeah. So I grew up on a, um, a beef cattle and hay ranch um, right along the California Oregon border in the Klamath Basin, um, just on the California side of the border. A little town called Doris, California is where I went to high school. Um, my family has been ranching in that valley um, since my grandfather was 17. And um, but there's six generations of my family have been cattle ranching. I'm the sixth, actually. So I'm very proud of that. And I do want to see a seventh come. And, you know, someday I think that's that's really awesome. But, um, yeah, little tiny town. You know, I graduated with a class of 29 and 
And so I, I come from a really small background, but there's tons of farming and, and ranching back home. And so that's that's where my heart lies for sure is cattle ranching and that way of life. And I call mom and dad almost every day and ask them what's happening on the ranch and try yeah. to keep tabs on them. <laughs> and, you know, just don't want to get too disconnected um, while I'm working on some other career goals. So, so what's ranching life like then? Like what, what did you grow up doing every day on and around the ranch and, and farm? Oh man, so many things. Um, you know, other than caring for the animals, you know, but we, we learned how to run hay equipment too and all of that. But my favorite stuff was, you know, getting to go to brandings and mm. go to grandpa's brandings and, um, all those kinds of things. Cattle drives were still, they're still a thing. And, um, those were some of my favorite days and just going and riding the range ground. We lease a lot of range ground um, for our cattle. Being in a high desert climate, um, you need a lot of lot of acres to cover. And so a lot of riding um, and I still, you know, have horses and riding is, is still heavily involved in my life today. And um, also, but, uh, you know, feeding, I have pictures of me on a feed truck when I was like, three years old with my dad feeding cows. And some of those are my favorite like childhood pictures. And, um, but you know, there's like a whole side of it that I'm now trying to learn that maybe I didn't take advantage of more when I was younger. And that was the, the paperwork side of it. And my mom's always done such a good job and she just puts nose to the grindstone and that's, you yeah. know, it's always going out and doing, doing the work when you're younger. But some of my teenage years, I probably wish I could have learned a little bit more from her on that side at the time. But you know, it's, you keep busy, that's for sure. And then, yeah. you know, when you start getting involved in 4-H and then all spring and summer, you're raising your own livestock on top of it and all of that. And when you got bummer calves that don't, <laughs> you know, we lose lose some moms or, or whatnot. And so me and my sister were always in charge of raising the bottle babies and feeding them every day. And, you know, so all the critters, it was fun. Some people, you know, there's controversy, of course, as I'm sure you're well aware, around beef and raising animals, any sort of animal agriculture for some people. Um, but you talk about things like cattle drives and branding and stuff. Some people who aren't familiar with how it works say, well, that's cruel or why do you have to do that? What's your response to that kind of stuff? Because I know a lot of people are really curious, like, what is that? Is that kind of stuff necessary? Is it bad? Is it good? And they're not sure what to feel about it. And it's understandable because when you don't have that background and you see that, it, I can understand where the concerns will lie. But if it's done right and properly, um, then, you know, it's definitely the best for the animal in the long run. It's just like anything, you know, giving vaccinations or anything like that. You know, most people, we vaccinate ourselves, we vaccinate our kids, we do things for the health of them in the long run. And what we really try to do is make the stressful time as a short of period of possible and as easy on them um, without causing any pain or anything like that. There is some, when during brandings, yeah, there's some short-term stuff, but it's very quick and then they're off and eating um, and back with their mother immediately. So, you know, yeah, it does look bad in some cases, but really, you know, it's done the best way possible in most cases. And there's a there's a new program called Beef Quality Assurance. That's a national program. And um, like 80%, I think, of ranchers are have gone through that program or have completed the certification. And that goes through, you know, how to properly vaccinate proper vaccination areas and anything as far as handling animals and keeping them as low stress as possible um, in any situation of moving them or anything like that. And, you know, cattle, you just got to... For me, it's it's about reading their body and their language, and every cow is different, and <laughs> you know you got to be ready. But also, you know they're they're tough animals. They are built for um, different climates and eras, and like they can they can outstand a lot more than what people think. And they're a lot bigger and stronger than yeah. than us humans. And um, so you know it's it's there's a lot of cows can be really dangerous, <laughs> but. Um, Really, it's it's about finding that working relationship and really working on your stockmanship. I think it's it's been a big push of my parents with us growing up, and I can continue to see it growing in the industry today, which is amazing. So, so you think 
a lot of the beef that's produced in this country is produced with those kind of values that that you were yes. raised with? Yes. I mean, I being involved, um, especially with the cattle women and going um, nationally and being involved with American National Cattle Women as well, and getting just to see how people are all across the country and the programs that are happening and seeing the stats, these cattle are are transitioning and they're, they're just so much better off than they were, um, you know, 30 years ago. The advancements the industry has made are just, I'm blown away at how in a short amount of time on all levels we can become better and that we're still working on getting better um, and finding new ways. We, we push ourselves. We don't need regulation to push us because mm. the things we do and keeping the animals low stress and handling well and all of that all adds to the productivity and product that we put and the better product we have, you know, the more profitable. So it's very advantageous for ranchers to put those types of um, programs into place or those, those types, you know, have those skills. Um, they'll, they'll see it on their bottom line. How, how can people know if they can trust the beef that they're buying at the store, that they're getting at a restaurant that they're eating? Is there a way to know? Is it, what's, because people are more and more concerned about, we want to make sure the food that we're consuming is healthy and is ethical. Yes. Um, I know that no, no product that's unhealthy, at least is going to be put on the shelf ever. You know, it's not everything you're going to be able to purchase and buy is going to be completely safe for you to eat. But, um, as far as if, if you in the, really in the meat in the meat world. case, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and say I saw some stuff at the gas station the other day that, <laughs> in a package, and yeah, I I wasn't so sure it was <laughs> maybe safe. not gas station stuff, yeah, okay. like kratom pills or something. I'm like, that's legal. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh man. Um. So, but as far as if you really want to know where your meat is coming from. I highly suggest, you know, finding a local source, whether it be even regional or anything like that. And finding there's so many um, ranchers and farmers transitioning to um, being able to sell value added um, and on a local market uh, rather than through the large conventional chain through the grocery stores. And so that's that's great because then you get to know the person or um, com, um, farm ranch that's raising your food. And um, so, but overall, the from what I've seen um, from the reports that I've that I've heard given at some of these conventions, a lot of that conventional stuff that is being raised and put into the grocery stores is becoming better and better and better raised like they they the beef quality assurance program has ways to actually test and has markers that show um how that animal product Mm. is has been affected so and if it's if it's really bad um or something is wrong with it you will not see it and it won't be sold to you so if something devastating was to happen to the to the animal or the carcass. What do you see yourself doing in 10, 5, 10, 20 years, whatever the timeline is for you? Like, it sounds like you eventually see yourself back as a part of the family ranch in California. What, what do you want that to look like? Well, from recent conversations and um, transition planning with my family, you know, the the ranch transition can happen as early as probably in another decade, you know, to 15 years. But I'm always, I've always had the mindset, you just got to kind of see where things are when it comes along. Um, you know, it's great to have um, plans, but don't plan on them too hard because I'm sure someone up above would, would change that plan. If you planned it, if you were dead set on it, it would get changed for you. Yeah. Um, that's happened a couple times to me. So, yeah. um, but you know, it's, I, I see myself definitely in the fair industry. And even when I go back to the family ranch, um, luckily there's, there's some amazing fairs back home too. And in some way I would find out how to be involved in, in the fair industry still because the value is there, you know, on so many levels. There's so many positions you can have, whether you're um, fair staff and management or a fair board director or just a volunteer superintendent, 4-H leader. There's so many ways you can contribute to the fair industry and make a huge impact. Um, so that's always going to be there. I feel like I'm always going to have the two industries immersed. 
um, even if they flip flop, which one is the daily priority, they're both very important to me. And I'm realizing I forgot to ask you earlier, like talk about your educational background too. You, you talked about going to high school class of what, what did you say? Like 29, 29. Yeah. And six of those were foreign exchange students. So, (laughs) So, um, tiny little school, but what'd you do after high school? Um, so I actually uh, went to the State University of New York at Cobble Skill College of Agriculture and Technology. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but um, yeah. I went there because I um, had a passion to also play college sports. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at D2 and D3 schools across the country, um, and there were, some, there were some good ag schools. I went back and visited in New York, and um, it turned out that their agricultural business program um, was actually really, really good mm. and um, was sought out from from kids, ag kids all over the Northeast. That's their big powerhouse ag school back there. Um, mm. Even if though it's a smaller school compared to some of our ag schools out here in the West, yeah. um, the ag program is about the same as the ag programs here in the West, just mm. a smaller school for the rest of the degrees. And so, you know, I found that really interesting and lucky for me, that school wanted me to play two sports for them instead of just one. I was going to ask, like, what so, you were talking about D2 and D3 sports. Well, what what sport, what, what's your thing? So I got to play volleyball and basketball for SUNY Cobble Skill. What, what's Go your, Tigers. Nice. What, what, <laughs> yeah. what was your, what's your number one? Like, if you were just going to do one, what was it going to be? That's what everyone asked me, and I couldn't decide. I was like, I don't know. I have to wait for the best opportunity. Like, if I choose one, then I'll end up having to play the other. You know, it was just like yeah. so you love one of those both. things. I love them both. I was was so blessed to be able to get to play both and have an awesome um, experience in college getting my agricultural business degree. And it was just like the three legs of the stool were there. And that is where I sat and landed. And it was such an amazing experience because I was, of course, the only like kid from California almost in the entire college and the only kid from California in the ag program. And so all of my college classes I got so much engagement because my professors and other students would be asking me my perspective being a California kid and Mm. agriculture being so huge in California and all over the West Coast. I got to be a huge part of those conversations, which just enhanced the learning that much more. And so that was a ton of fun. And it's I'm I'm glad that I got to experience another side of the country, too, and learn how different agriculture is, because that just helped me have a better understanding overall. So, so what positions did you play in um, basketball? I was a center and uh, volleyball. I was an outside my freshman year and then a middle for the remaining years. So, which is always the positions I were in high school as well. So, yeah. You still play much? Um, since I've moved to Ellensburg, I used, when I was in Yakima, I used to play volleyball in an adult league all the time. And that was a lot of fun. And I continue to play in, um, Spokane's hoop fest, largest three on three in the world. Yeah. And so that's a lot of fun. I was really sad it was canceled this year, but I do try to keep playing. And, um, so hopefully I will find some more time to, to keep going. And hopefully once all this COVID's over and sports can start again, I'll be looking forward to that. But I'm also learning new hobbies because I'm learning how to break away rope. And so I'm trying mm. to try a new sport. And so that's been a lot of fun too. And, you know, something as, as I age, I'll have to learn how to do something different. <laughs> My body can already feel all those years <laughs> of um, hitting the hitting the gym floor in basketball or, yeah. you know, something like that. So, yeah. yeah and I wasn't a great sports player, but I do think about some of the sports stuff that I dabbled in in high school. I wasn't good enough to play after high school, but... Some of the things I did, realizing how bad it would hurt now if I did those same things, took those same hits that I took in football. Or oh yeah, oh man, it's crazy to to think that doesn't has it been that many years? Am I really getting that old? Yeah, I can't be that old yet. I just hit that stage where I'm like, oh, that long ago. I was. <laughs> I just started realizing that like the last year. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> so what's your next move gonna be? You're here. At the, do you do you want to do this for? quite a while yet or you said it could be like a decade or more before you you want to you want to take over the ranch then and kind of be head honcho and take it over from your parents do you what about siblings you have siblings yeah yeah and actually angling for the job yeah i just had a conversation um with my sister last night on the phone and we were we were already talking about stuff and 
um, we're both looking forward to working together. Um, we will we will have joint ownership of the of the family ranch, and mm. I know both of us have the same passion. And even if we spent our entire childhood fighting like <laughs> <laughs> like no other, um, we're in a place now in our adulthood where like okay, you know, this is there's a lot of pride here, and we both have the same goals. And yeah, we'll it'll be it'll be a joint it'll be a joint effort. And but I'm looking forward to it. So we'll so, see how so the timeline works out. You won't fight at all. Oh, uh, we'll we'll probably fight. There will probably be some business decisions that don't line up, <laughs> but that's typical, and that's yeah. that's how family operations are. I guess it's a whole nother ball game. It's a lot different than other businesses, that's for sure. But yeah, you know. how do you separate that? Because you still want to be family and hopefully friends. But if think, you're working yeah. together at the same time, I don't and, think there's an answer for it. Because what have wives and husbands done for all these years? Yeah. I mean, they still struggle. They yeah. haven't been able to figure it out. They, you know, they're a lot of them stay together, but they so they figure out that much. But yeah. it doesn't stop them from fighting about the farm and ranch stuff. <laughs> you know, true. it's it's just it's sometimes you don't agree, and it, it is it's a challenge to separate your personal and business life when your personal and business life are your life, like. Yeah. They're ingrained together. There's no separation. Um, but that's, again, probably leads back to why farmers and ranchers are so passionate and love their lifestyle at the same time, because you get to do it with your family, too. And it's what you love and you can do it together. And a lot of other businesses, you know, it's you don't get the entire family to to get to work with you. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's unique. It's Double-edged yeah. sword. Yeah, <laughs> totally true. Yeah. And that's been my experience growing up on a family farm as well. There's amazing things about it, and there's really hard things about the interpersonal stuff and dealing with conflict. Even though if you grow up doing it, you do, I think, unless you really get into some bad habits, <laughs> you learn how to do that along the way. Yeah, and you're, I mean, yeah, like my sister and I, you know, we have, we went to different ag schools, and, you know, we have different teachings and all of that and you know but i think there's there's things that i know that could benefit and there's things that she that she knows that could benefit if we bring those together i think the strengths we have will outweigh a lot of the you know things that we might have to work through but that that'll happen in any at any place of business you know it's just working yeah. through those and and handling the conflict resolution correctly which when it's family, sometimes it's not that easy, but it'll be it'll be good. I've so, been there. I, yeah. I know. Yeah. Does that make you nervous at all? I know when I've thought, and I'm not really in a position to do it right now, but thought about like taking on the family, you know, taking over, continuing on the family farm. It's like I I've seen a lot or most of it, but I'm just I. It freaks me out to think, what if that's all that all that responsibility is on my shoulders? Could oh, I yeah. do it? Oh yeah, no, it's it's definitely something. If you start thinking about it too much, you do get nervous, and that's one thing reason probably why I call my parents every day, and that probably drives them absolutely crazy. But I'm <laughs> like, I don't want to like slip up and like real like learn a month later you guys are doing something you know some, that I had no idea and like how am I going to prepare for that and yeah. so it's been it's been important for me to know the business plans moving forward and you know they get they get really busy and just getting everything done because it is a busy life you have a huge to-do list every day and so then you have your this is late to-do list <laughs> and and so trying to pull that information and stay up to date is is difficult or to try to learn and so my hope is that I will have the opportunity when we're ready to place a transition that there will actually be you know a time where we can learn and um in person and and really yeah. get a handle on things and so we'll see you know we never know what the plan is um from from the other wonders of the world but we just gotta be be prepared and have the best plan that we can what's been over your years of either being on the farm when you were or still connected to it on the ranch away from the ranch what's been the most challenging part keeping that whole thing going i mean for your parents for yourself you talk about it being tough but you know like what what's it really like when it gets difficult I think for me is just like understanding all of the processes um, as far as what has to be done in the background, not necessarily like I think, 
you know, I it's easy to probably pick up working in the, the ranch because that's what I grew up doing. But learning all the stuff that goes, I know how to run a business, but learning all the intricacies that are specific to our ranch and all of the needs and paperwork because the rules in agriculture are so different than like what I'm handling mm. here now. Yeah, there's basic elements, but um, just the overload of, of different things that you have to know and filling out the right, you know, paperwork permits, whatever it is, taxes, all that stuff, you know, that's, that's what I'm probably most nervous about. Um, Cause I can't learn that without doing it. And it's, you know, my, my mom holds all of that information. And so it's like, um, you know, how do you slow her down to try to, to try to ask her or understand she's amazing at record keeping and bookkeeping. And that's the thing. It's just so detailed. And so trying to try and, and hopefully with the records there, I can learn quickly, but um, it's learning how to do it right and keep it moving without making a mistake. I think the toughest thing for me, um, the scariest thought is probably making a big mistake that costs the ranch um, a big dollar hit um, because that does happen in transitions too. Mm. So um, we'll, we'll just got to hope for the best and work towards yeah. that. But you know, all those, all those stressors are there, I guess. Um, I don't, I, the toughest thing for me, like right now is when there's so much going on and I'm so far away and I can't just go and help during the weekend or something like yeah. that. You know, there's a million things going wrong every week and, you know, just, just how it is, that's normal, but, um, that I'm, that I'm not there and not there, not just to help, but just to support my parents, um, like emotionally as uh, you know, and, and just know that they have us there and that we're going to be there. And, you know, my sister's same thing. She lives South. And so it's, it's hard for both of us. And, but we go home and try to visit when we can and, and yeah. catch up. And, but being away from family is, is really hard for a lot of reasons. So. Well, the whole idea of me having conversations like we're having here is to kind of reconnect people with the people who are growing the food that we're all eating and buying in the store. What would you say? What's what's your message to people who aren't really connected with farming? Like, what do they need to know to kind of bring this whole thing back together, you know, yeah. bring the, the different communities back together in sort of a mutual awareness and appreciation in our food system? Yeah. I would say is don't be afraid to reach out and learn about, you know, people, farmers and ranchers, maybe in your area where you could start. The information's out there and the industry is not putting out false information to like the production side of the industry is is really pretty trustworthy. And we we want to give you the right information and show you how we do things and why we do things. And um, you know, we want to make that connection too, and that, and we want you to feel comfortable because, you know, we're eating and the same food that we're raising that we're trying to serve to you too. And, um, we're, we're definitely not out there. Our goal is not to harm anyone. We want to do, um, what's best for the people of the world and care for our animals along the way and give them the best quality life that they can have, um, until they fulfill their purpose and, and that's what it's all about. Very cool stuff. And and coming from a really cool story. I don't know. To me, someone saying that means so much more when it's from someone like you who's you've lived it, you've seen it, and not only have you been around it, but now you advocate for it as a professional. Um, so that's pretty powerful yeah. for someone like yourself to say. And there's so many avenues now on Facebook. Like there's so many amazing advocates out there that I look up to that are sharing stuff all the time all over Facebook. And really, even if you're not connecting face-to-face -face with people in person or local people, research and try to find advocates online because they're sharing real stories too. And they're readily available to talk to you about issues. And they have amazing answers that'll, that'll hopefully um, completely, you know, give you a, a better understanding of, of what, um, you're concerned about and it's just amazing what they do and what they're able to 
to promote on what they're doing in their everyday lives. And it's hard to have the time to do all of the farming and ranching and then get on social media and do all of that too. So our older generations have a terrible time doing it because it's it's new and they're used to what they're doing, but the younger generations and are stepping up and they're really good at it. So don't be afraid to find find them and talk to them even through Facebook. That's what they want to do. We want to talk. Yeah, I think our generation in particular is really bad at lying. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're open books, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, we're used to being out there. We ha- yeah. have had social media as a part of our lives for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And we value authenticity. You and know, we want I'm, to be understood and we want to share what we're doing because we think it's really cool and we want you to think it's cool too and <laughs> and know that it's it's all for the for the betterment of everyone. Well, I think what you're doing is cool. Thanks. So, <laughs> and I really appreciate you doing the podcast. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. This is this has been a lot of fun. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Okay, so Katie is somebody we need to keep tabs on, right? Like, she's already done a lot of cool stuff, but she has a vision. And just hearing her passion for what she does and her clarity into the future, what she's going to accomplish, really gets me pumped for our future at a time when we're told, oh, we're supposed to be depressed about our food system and things are bad. Um, not, not necessarily. And things are getting better and things can be good. And the people, the new generations coming in have such passion and and drive to, to make changes and go in a positive direction. Really awesome to hear and see. Thank you for joining me here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. I grew up on a a farm in Western Washington, and after years in media, I decided I want to share the stories of the people that I grew up around, the communities that I still have some connections with. And so I'm traveling all over the state to uh, connect with those people, get to know new people, and share that with you and allow you to be a part of and more connected with our food system, the real people growing our food. I'd really appreciate it if you followed us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Also subscribe to the podcast and check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, As always, the website is realfoodrealpeople.org and you can email me anytime, dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.